What Are You Made Of? It's Mike C-Rock. Welcome to What Are You Made Of? Every episode of this podcast is centered around building ourselves and the people in our lives to reach our full potential. I hope that the experiences and stories of success from these conversations can give you rocket fuel to reach new heights and help you answer the question, What Are You Made Of? What Are You Made Of? I want to remind you that the Rocket Fuel book is available at MikeCRock.com forward slash book. That's MikeCROC.com forward slash book. Go get yourself a copy. And subscribe to the What Are You Made Of podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. If you like watching these, it's available on YouTube at my channel, Mike C-Rock Scirocco. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of What Are You Made Of with your boy, the unstoppable C-Rock. I'm in the house today with my man, George, and I didn't even ask this question, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a shot because everybody tries to give my last name a shot, Sirocco. So, Andreopoulos. Andreopoulos. Good Andreopoulos. enough. Andreopoulos. <laughs> I was pretty close. George Andreopoulos is the award-winning founder and CEO of Launchpad 516, a New York-based management consulting firm providing organizations with the tools and resources to innovate and thrive. He's actually been a 10X, TEDx speaker and also... Um, part of the uh, podcast world because he's got a podcast just like me. And, uh, you know, we're going to chat. Usually the guests that have podcasts make it such an easier interview. Uh, but as we go through, we're going to learn more about George here because I don't want to read the whole bio and ruin anything. So George, welcome to the show. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate you having me. Hey, so, uh, you know, we start every show. We have a tradition of asking the question, what are you made of? Yeah. So, so I can give you the, the cliche answer of resilience or steel or whatever, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to say marshmallow <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm just, uh, it's all love lately, man. I'm a pile of marshmallow lately. I got, uh, I got my two kiddos, uh, my older ones who just had a, a third kid six months ago. So Congrats. it's all love, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. So, uh, boys, girls, what's going on there? Two girls and a boy. So I got a 12 year old girl, 10 year old boy, and I have a six month old little girl. <laughs> that little dude's got girls. Oh, he's a sandwich <laughs> for the girls. Oh man. Totally. Totally. That's awesome, man. I I love to hear that. And, um, you know, I'm in a little further along in my journey now. I'm I'm not, I don't think we're having any more. Um, I have two myself, but they're a little older now. So, but yeah, man, I I can relate to that as well, because when you have a business and having a family, it's a balance that we all have to, uh, navigate and it's not difficult if you know what to do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's sort of a lesson I learned along the way that balance has become such a key word for me, such a key word. It's sort of what fixed everything for me. Yeah. So talk about that, man. Like, what did you find out with that and, and what works for you? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I'm sure we'll get into the story a little bit, but, uh, yeah, well, you want to start with, wait a minute. You want to start with that? That's fine. And then we'll get into that because I'd love to hear your story first. Yeah, man. So, uh, you know, I spent the first half of my career I spent, you know, 12, 13 years in the, in the pharmacy industry. And, uh, you know, I was good at what I did, man. Um, I didn't love the business of pharmacy. I loved the business of pharmacy, not, not pharmacy itself. Uh, and so, you know, I was good at what I did, um, came up in a, uh, in an environment of, of competition and, and success, meaning wealth and, um, you know, and, and titles and all that kind of stuff. And, it, you know, to me, re- looking back now in hindsight, it wasn't really the right way to, to come up originally. And so, you know, when I, when I achieved the modicum of success in that industry, just kind of fed the ego, it fed everything. And, I grew and grew and grew, and I, I I went from independent pharma to corporate pharma. Had a big job in, in Manhattan, made a ton of dough, and uh, the ego just got to this point, man, of like 
shit. It was like, can I say shit? I can curse yeah. here, right? You can, you, yeah. can say, you can say whatever you want. <laughs> You're good. So the, the ego grew to this point where, um, man, I thought it was invincible. I thought it was bulletproof and just treated everybody. Like I was a complete asshole to people. And, uh, my priorities were all fucked up, you know, and, and it came to a head, man. It came when the other shoe fell, I was left with like personal ruin, a divorce, you know, alone without friends, without, you know, my uh, career ruin. It was just this place where everything just imploded. And, you know, that's a humble place to be. And you, you kind of sit down and, and reprioritize it. You go, yeah, I know all these years I've been saying it's everybody else's fault, but I, I fucked up. I fucked up. So then it becomes like, how do I fix this? You know, I got to re, I got to be introspective here. I got to look at things and go, yeah, like there's something's got to change here. I have to change something. And so, you know, I took it one step at a time, man, just focusing on two little kids at the time. I had to focus on being a dad only. I had to put work aside, focus on just my relationship with my kids, being the class dad, being the coach, being there for every single thing possible, co-parenting as best as possible. Um, you know, that came into play, uh, learning how to talk to people again, how to rebuild my friendships and be a genuine dude and, and not just a prick all the time. Right. And then work came back into play where it was like, all right, I, I got to focus back on my career again. How do I do this while still maintaining the other stuff? Right. Cause it was always like this fear thing where if you go back to being a successful person, that, that guy's going to come back. And that's when sort of balance came into play where it was like, all right, you know, if I could be authentic, if I could be genuine in my personal life, in my professional life, be that same dude everywhere, um, show everybody those expectations and sort of balance everything to know like these are boundaries I can't cross with my family. These are boundaries I can't cross professionally. And then I don't know, man, everything started clicking. You know, it's I always use this term of this reference of like, you know, that, that Jedi moment, that that matrix moment where you're dodging bullets and you kind of get it, right? You're like, all right, this is how it's supposed to be. But, you know, and ever since then, man, you, you know how it is. Like when you're successful the right way, man, it's like a pleasure. It's a pleasure doing yeah. it. Yeah. But still, you still have to prepare yourself, right? Because like you got to, see, I was telling my partners the other day, we had a great year in the mortgage industry this past year. It's one of the businesses that I do. And I think that when that year happened and we're doing well, complacency and comfortability, if that's a word, starts to creep in and you don't know that it's creeping in until a lot of times it's too late to keep it out. And then you got to really get into a situation where you're like, all right, what do we got to do to stop this immediately? And, you know, because when you have things flowing, which is great, I've, I've experienced that, there's something that, that gets in your mind psychologically. And, and my mentor, Grant Cardone, talks about this all the time about going to zero, grinding like you're broke all the time, like go to zero. Take your cash that you have, any comfortability, and put it into something that can cash flow or invest it in yourself or invest it in your business, but get rid of the cash because it makes you like it just, it's not something that's like, hey, I'm here, comfortability, complacency. It's like this little sneaky thing, like water creek, like sneaking through cracks. And then it freezes and then it expands real fast. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. Oh, totally. So, yeah. Yeah. So, what do you do to, to keep yourself on your toes and, and not getting complacent? Yeah. So that, that's a, that's a tough thing to do. Right. Um, I had this moment during that whole transformation and this was 10 years ago. This is a big year for me. Cause I've been looking forward to, to 2021 cause it was 2011 when everything like fell apart. Uh, and I started rebuilding. It was an element that came into my life that year. That was really different from anything that I had ever done. It was the first time that I had taken the focus off myself. Um, Long story short, as I met a young girl, I, I knew her for a couple of years from my karate school. Her name was Shannon. I, I always did Kempo karate as a hobby. Um, Shannon got sick. You know, she was 15 at the time. We found out she was sick. And, you know, I knew her not super well, but something like 
in the middle of all this mess I was going through personally, something was like drawing me in. Like, you got to help out here. You got to help out. And so I got to know the family. And, you know, along with some of my incredible friends from Kempo, we went up starting this nonprofit to benefit not only Shannon, but uh, kids like her, you know, families in medical crisis. And man, it was my first time experiencing anything in, in the nonprofit world at all, besides some volunteer stuff and toy drives and shit like that. Um, and it was one of the most transformational experiences of my life. And what I took away from that year was not only what I got out of it, like I learned how to help others without helping myself, making it about other people, um, developed like these bonds with, with these friends that can never be broken now. And, you know, fast forward a couple of years later, I got to know her family really well. Unfortunately, we lost Shannon a couple of years after that. Um, but I started dating Shannon's sister shortly after this, and we got married a couple of years ago. Wow. You wow. know, in the middle of all this crisis, this amazing stuff came into my life. And it just taught me that, you know, being of service to others. Um, and, and of course, you, you always have to worry about yourself and your family. Like, and that's, that's the misnomer with being of service that you just make it about everybody else. No, it's not true. Like mm -hmm. it's okay to have success. It's okay to worry about yourself and your family, but bringing that aspect of being of service and having that be the mindset going into things, that's sort of what balances me. Right. And so when I'm being complacent, um, when I'm falling out of the momentum that I have, I'll do some good things. I'll jump into that kind of service that sparks that creativity, that drive again. And then I'm like full force again, you know, full force. Yep. Yep. I love it, man. I'm just looking at the bio here too. Some of the things that you got into. One of the things that I uh, always focus on is what's next. What's the future? Like what, what am I going to do if I, if I achieve any of the, the targets that I set for myself? And so when you got out of the, uh, the pharmaceutical world, what was the next thing that, that was on your plate? Yeah. So I had an experience in 2005 where we actually hired a management consulting firm to better our business, right? And it was a phenomenal experience. I had never experienced anything like that. You know, you're, you're talking about a guy that went to school for pharmacy. And so I didn't have, my business acumen was limited to what I learned, you know, on the job, right? And, and right. we learned a lot, but these people, this management consulting firm changed our business forever. And I said to myself at that moment in 2005, like when I'm done with the pharmacy industry, I wanna do that. I think I have a knack for this. And so I learned, I absorbed, I learned, I absorbed. And, and when I left that industry, I knew that after <clears throat> taking a little bit of a breather, that's what I wanted to do. So I jumped in, you know, consulting independently. I started the company and the goal was to consult in the pharmacy and medical industry. And my first five, 10 clients were nothing to do with it. And it kind of showed me like, hey, I'm, I'm teaching business fundamentals here. When I go to fix a business, a broken business, this kind of, this is transcendative industry. So I'm not going to limit myself, you know, and ever since then, it's just been like, this evolution, every next step is kind of like, where is the business going to take me next? Like I have my financial goals. I have my personal goals, but I don't necessarily have a, a framework, a solid framework for what business this box, what box this business is going to be in because it just, dude, it's nothing like it was 2013. I started it. It looks nothing like it did in 2013 now. And I love that. Yeah. And you know, the thing is, is that like, I, well, I think about this all the time with my coaching businesses, like, you know, same thing for my book that I just wrote, uh, niche in something helps you get success quicker. But if you are too generalized, then it, it takes longer, but you're not pigeonholed. So there's like a balance there as well. Like, I don't know the answer to that all the time as well. Like I'm thinking to myself when I'm doing my things, you know, I'm in the mortgage business. So I just focus on mortgage people and training mortgage people. 
or should I go out and because you know, just an example, you know, Grant focused on the car business and then he expanded out from there, right? And then for you, are you like looking for not just niching in the pharmaceutical world, but like niching in other areas, generalizing that way rather than just anyone? So that's what happened. That's what that's what happened. It was like I was gonna niche in the pharmaceutical and medical industry, and then all of a sudden this guy came to me that was starting a, a personal fitness business. Okay, let's do that startup project, then restaurants, and then you know, we had marketing consulting that was part of our array of services, and then it was soon after we gained some success and traction in the business that I was like, you know what, let's separate that. Now I have the resources to turn that into a separate company. So let's separate that into a separate marketing agency. And now it's the marketing agency and the consultancy. And then a couple of years later, it's another business and investing in businesses. So yeah, man, like that, that whole balance thing, why it's such a big theme in my life is that the answer that I was always looking for of what's the answer, it doesn't exist to me because if you're going to balance, right, the whole point of balancing is that it's always going to seesaw. So you have to see what happens when it seesaws in one direction and then pivot to account for that, to compensate for that, to, to rebalance again. So yeah, I kind of have this mindset of like, wherever it goes, it goes, you know, as long as I have my expectations, my goals from a financial standpoint, from a personal standpoint, from a happiness standpoint, the business part is fun to see where it sort of elevates to. Right. Right. So what was your TEDx talk about? Yeah. So I'm uh, <laughs> Ted. Ted is one of this evolutions for me. I'm actually three-time TEDx speaker now. Um, and does that, and make, also, does that mean you had three different types of talks? Cause you can't do the same one, three different types of talks. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know if it's so something, I, so I don't know what enough about it. I'm, I'm going to be there one day. Um, yeah. but I didn't know if it's like you go around and that's three talks of the same talk or three totally different talks. Yeah. So three totally different talks. So I only really applied for the first one. I wanted to take a quick break here to remind you that my book rocket fuel is available for sale now at mikecrock.com forward slash book. That's MikeCROC.com forward slash book. Go get a copy and share it with your friends and family. It will change lives, guys. I will not let you down. Now back to the show. And, you know, this was as I was building my speaking career, uh, growing my keynote, uh, you know, my paid keynote side of what I do uh, as an industry professional. But this was the first like personal talk I did. It was called The Impact of Innovation Via Disruption. So it was basically business advice about how to innovate by disrupting your industry or or the way you do it. So like if you're if you want to be a successful pizza place, you're not going to build it like every other fucking pizza place out there. You're going to do something different. And I use examples from my life about how I disrupted the flow of my life in order to recreate myself. It was the first time I gave a personal personal talk. I talked about my screw-ups in life. I talked about my 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 fall and my rise again. Uh, and it was cathartic, man. And I, I got like addicted to it. And so my second and third ones were, I was actually asked to speak at those events. Second one was about um, how growing up hindered my creativity. Uh, and so it was about like how as adults, we need to find a place, we need to focus on that place that we can get creative in order to thrive at what we do and think about it like a child. You know, I Yeah. So my- on that note, uh, I just, you know, I got this, when the book's coming out, I'm promoting like crazy and I have podcasts. Dude, I, I've gotten podcasts uh, probably done two a day, all year, wow. two a day, right? Every day, every day. And when I did that, I didn't leave any room for creativity. And like, you got to schedule in time for creativity and really feel okay about it and not be guilty. Like I felt yeah. guilty plugging in and saying, well, no, dude, I just need to 
like some of my creativity and that some people might laugh, my wife, wife might laugh, but it's going out on the golf course in nature and just being out there and thinking and, and, and it gets those juices flowing. And maybe not, but not a golf, maybe just taking a walk or whatever, but you feel like I, I deal with this. I'm just being transparent here. I deal with like some kind of guilt that creeps in, which I know is wrong for like setting time aside, not doing something that I feel like is, I don't know. It's just crazy. But when I do that and I set that time aside, man, I'm, I'm like colorful as I don't know what, man, like I can come up with some of the craziest shit uh, that, that that's ever known. So I love that you said that. And, you know, for you, what do you do for like throughout your day or week to like set aside time for creativity? Yeah. So a couple of things. One is I have to be in the right mindset because, you know, this is something we know as adults that that's why we're different than kids, right? They don't have the worries that we do. And so making sure all my shit is straight, right? (laughs) You know, running your life in the right way where there's no drama in your life, no whatever. Um, For me, I love the work setting. You know, and so I'm working from home at the moment, you know, because we're all sort of remote. But when I'm in my office, I have a gorgeous, you know, 3000 square foot office, loft office with windows everywhere. I love just locking my door, watching a couple of videos, right, to just get me in that creative mood. You know, like Jimmy Valvano, one of my heroes, right, that talk he did, the speech he did at the ESPYs before he passed away. Uh, where they started the V Foundation. That to me is my most inspirational talk that I could watch. I'll watch a couple of things like that just to get me in that mode. I love writing. I love, you know, just getting sitting down and collaborating with people. So when I set time aside for writing, I set time aside to just be alone in my thoughts in my office. It gets me going. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love it, man. And it's like when you're stuck or in a rut, it's you're just really unable to do something. That's what my coach told me. Rut stands for really unable to something. Yeah. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it, it makes you, you know, once you get those juices flowing again, you get some momentum, man. It's like you're you're riding high. It's just the greatest oh, feeling in the world, man. So it's amazing. So so then from there, what are you trying to disrupt next? Like, what's the next thing you're going to try to disrupt? Have you thought your next? Yeah. So so I got really ingrained in the TED world. Um, you know, I set some goals after I did my first TED talk. You know, by that point, I had become a successful keynote, um, but I wanted to grow it. Right. And so I did my second TEDx talk and I applied to be on the main TED stage, which is if you know that whole world, the TED world, it's a big, big, it's, a, it's big enough to have TEDx next to your name. But um, I just wanted to conquer that and I got rejected. And so I had decided that I think I was looking at this very narrow mindedly. I wanted to get behind the minds of other speakers. And so I applied to become a TEDx organizer and I got that license and I have executive produced three events to date. We're doing our fourth one this year as a TEDx producer. And it's given me a different standpoint on what it is to, to be a public speaker, how some people's ideas come out. And, you know, through that, a bunch of stuff has happened. Getting ingrained in that, in that um, speaking world has led to a coaching division of my business called the Leadership Experience, you know, where we do leadership coaching and how to execute on your platform, whether it's speaking, whether it's uh, your business, you know, your career whatever. So, you know, I'm just kind of getting better at this. You know, I always say like as a consultant, I've always done coaching, executive coaching, but we did it within our consults for corporations. Now we're we're taking it to the street for the first time, you know, Uh, and we started it last year. It's been super successful and I just want to get better at it and see where it evolves to next. Are you able to put your fingerprints on the TEDx in that position that you're in where you can be disruptive a little bit in there for creative and constructive disruption? As a speaker or, or a producer? No, as the executive producer. Yeah. Um, you know, because I'm the one deciding what talks go on that stage. And so okay. the yeah, beauty of a TEDx is there's no selling. 
no, no political agendas, no religious agendas, no pseudoscience. So they're pure talks, right? It's just an idea worth spreading. As long as it's an actionable idea, it, whether I agree with you or not, I'm going to put you on the stage if it's worthy of that. And so, yeah, you can disrupt because you're providing a platform. You're providing the platform that you one day wished for back in the day. Like, I wish somebody would have given me the opportunity to get up on a stage and tell them this fucking idea that I've like been working on my whole life. That's so important to me. And you know, and how much did my life change when I actually had that opportunity? So it's amazing to be able to give other people that opportunity and to create change with that. I always tell my speakers, whether I'm coaching them or, you know, or I'm producing for the event to sort of downplay the, uh, the largeness of getting up on stage in front of a bunch of people is that you're trying to reach one person, right? If you, if you are here for the right reasons and not just to put you, those letters next to your name, and you can reach one person and potentially shape or change their lives, that's all you got to do. Because then it's going to grow exponentially. Yeah, They're going to spread that idea. Yeah, you know? the impact is multiple. It's not just- Oh a, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love yeah. that. Let's talk about leadership. What are the things that you've witnessed and observed the people that you work with, their three blocks to becoming good leaders or the challenges that they deal with? Yeah, so number one is the, the fact that they look at leadership as this big, big thing, right? Leadership, uh, can be as small or as big as you want, right? So as, as a guy that's a community leader in my own you know, community and, and a thought leader out there or try to be a thought leader. No, you know, no, I, no, 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 bullshit. You're, you're a thought leader. Just say it. Don't uh, say I try. appreciate it. I appreciate say, it. I um, am. I am a thought yeah. leader. Let's say that. Well, you know, okay. you know what it is that it's that word that sometimes people look at and go, what a dick, you know, thought nah, leader. Hey, what is that? They, they, that's their problem. That's not our problem. Yeah. Yeah. And so <laughs> as a guy that's out there with ideas, like I think I have the resources and the influence now to be able to create bigger change, but people come to you and they're like, how could I ever be that leader? And so what I always try and do is just give them the simplest definition. My definition that I use on my coaching platform is a leader is just that person that will stand up and say, I'll do it. Whether they're doing it themselves, whether they're leading others to do it, whether they're leading alongside others, that's all it is. Yeah. You can be as simple as getting up there and saying like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about this big racial issue or gender issue, whatever. Or you can say like, Hey, there should be a stop sign on that corner. And there's not, let me go to that city council talk. That's a leader. That's like, you're getting up there. You believe in something yeah, and you're standing up. So, so the first block is that people just don't realize that leadership can be as simple as you want it to be. Pick up, um, pick up, pick up the ball and run with it. You see, like, yeah. you play football. I don't know if you played football growing up. I did. Yeah. Dude, there's a foot, there's a ball on the ground. I don't care what position you are. Pick the damn thing up and run with it. That's it. That's well, it. unless you're one of the big fat linemen, just jump on it. So I was, I was the big linebacker. So I was just good at, uh, at tackling people, but yeah, <laughs> you never want to give me the ball. <laughs> but I'll grab but, it if it's there. I'll yep. grab it if it's there. Um, but yeah, so, so that, that's honestly like the main block. The, the other couple of blocks that come into play are understanding how to influence other people. People don't realize that, um, as a leader, whether you're leading alongside others or in front of them, you have to get them to believe in you and what you're doing. And so people uh, sometimes need guidance in how to do that. And the third thing is like, what's that, what's that, uh, the, the call to action here? Like sometimes people get so wrapped up in being a leader that they forget why they started it yeah. in the first place. Purpose. It's very hypnotic, right? When people, when you get up in front of people and they actually listen to you and they're following you, that's a, it's a scary moment. It's very hypnotic. It's very like, oh, wow, I have a lot of influence and people get lost in the title of being a leader and forget sometimes that the call to action of why you started being a leader is the most important thing here. 
Yeah. What about the the fact that they don't feel that they can hold themselves accountable? They don't have uh, what Brandon Dawson, one of my mentors says, me leadership. And so they can't be effective to the we leadership, everybody, because they can't hold themselves accountable. It's hard to hold yeah. other people accountable when you're not holding yourself. You deal with that too? Well, I, I deal with that in my business. That's why I started my business management consulting, because that was me as a leader in the first, as a leader. I'll call myself a manager, not a leader in the first half of my business, in the first half of my career. It starts at the top, right? And so at nine out of 10 times when I go into a business to consult them, you've seen the shows on TV, The Profit and Bar Rescue with John Tafferty and Marcus Lamotis and all those guys. Like it's a, those are little tiny uh, digestible versions of what I do in a big way for businesses. And so you'll come in and the owner says, or the C-suite guy says like, my employees suck. They don't see my vision. Yeah. You know, th- this department's like, what are you doing? Like, what are the tools that you're providing them to succeed? Are you looking at yourself first? And nine times out of 10, they are not. And so that's why, like for me with my company, uh, Launchpad 516, we, I do a different approach. You know, I'm not the consultancy that comes in and says, we're going to fire everybody. We're going to clean the house and start over. I'm going to look at the ownership and the management and go, are you communicating with these people? Are you providing them the tools that they need to succeed? And then we talk to them and go, okay, what tools do you think you need? Let's open up the lines of communication. Now, after a couple of months, you have the tools, you've communicated to your people. Let's start the work. And now if it doesn't work, yeah, okay. Now we yes. got to look at- If they're not buying in then, or right, whatever. right. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It comes down to 100% responsibility. That's how we operate in my business. We take 100% responsibility because when you don't, for every degree of responsibility you give up, you give up control. Yeah, And when you give up control, then you start to resent your employees. You start to resent the business. You hate the business. You hate this. You hate that. It's all their fault. And here it's just a reflection of yourself, right? For sure. So, Yeah. I love that, man. So tell us uh, real quick uh, before I ask you the last question about your podcast and, and what the topic is and, and if you bring guests on or if it's a monologue or how, the, how that is. I do. Yeah. So the podcast is called The Launchcast. Uh, I started it uh, December of 2019. So we're in our second season right now, weekly podcast about leadership. So in essence, it's a real, it's a journey through the unconventional journeys of those leaders that we bring on to interview. So they're conversational interviews. One of my heroes in communications is Howard Stern. And when we look at Howard Stern today, like the best interviewer on the planet, that's the model that I went after. I don't like doing pre-interviews. I like Mm -hmm. to, I'll only do a short pre-interview just to get some missing bits. But we sit there and do a shitload of research on that guest, like days worth of research in order to sort of chronologically tell their story and then find these little moments of leadership jewels, leadership golden nuggets, um, spark moments in their careers that led them to where they are today. The goal is for the audience. and And I started this, dude, by the way, like as a way to build on the leadership coaching platform. Yep. So that people can see me as, uh, as an authority on that platform. And, you know, it turned into its own thing because people started listening to it. They started getting so much out of it. And so the goal is for the audience to go just some random person to go, well, shit, I went through that yeah. when I was younger. And right now I'm, I don't consider myself anything, but maybe, maybe I can get to that point. Like, look at the, all the adversity that person went through. Mm-hmm. We, we have a lot of fun in them. Um, you know, there's some soapbox solo episodes that I do when I feel something is important enough to just talk about. Uh, but mostly it's an interview style. We come out, you know, every Monday morning on all the major uh, platforms and been fun, man. It's yeah, been fun. It, I hope maybe it, you get you on one day. Yeah, anytime, man. Just ask. Yeah. I, I'll, be, I'll be happy to pop on. And the thing about this is, is that when you first start it, you have no idea what you're getting into. And then it just blossoms into these all this like 
it's just crazy the authority that you get from having a podcast. <laughs> yeah, but, no, it's amazing. But, but but it's just like Clubhouse too. Like you can tell who knows what they're talking about. Like I'm not afraid. I put all my stuff out on every social media platform, little clips. People know who I am before they even meet me because I'm just transparent. And I'm sure you do the same thing. Just push yep. it out there and then they know whether they can trust you or not and whether you know your shit or not. And uh, absolutely, it, it's an awesome platform to do that. So final question is going to be about the rocket fuel law, but before I do that, how can my audience get engaged with you and reach you? Yeah. So all social media platforms, it's at Launchpad CEO, uh, Clubhouse, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff. You know, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, check out the, you know, I, I have most of my businesses run out of my consulting firm, Launchpad 516. But if we're talking about coaching, check out the leadershipexp.com. That's my coaching uh, platform. That's what we're trying to build right now. You know? I love it's, it, man. Uh, you know, it's you know, a great wait, platform. You know, you know, I like the word launch pad because uh, I'm all about turning setbacks into rocket fuel. So we definitely align, brother. And uh, yeah, I appreciate man. you coming on the show. So final question, you know, my dad threw a hundred dollar bill at me when I was 11 and said, you're going to need this when you're living on the streets with your mother one day. <laughs> Why he did that, I guess, because he felt like I gave up on him maybe because I was leaving his house, moving back with my mom after being abused. And uh, I wasn't, wasn't okay with it. And I put, took a stand at 11 years old. He threw in the towel on me and that sparked something in me that I've used as fuel for 30 some years. I became aware of it two years ago. I created this law called the rocket fuel law, which is to turn all setbacks, letdowns, difficulties, discouragement, anything that comes your way into rocket fuel for your future so that you don't just get back to where you were before, but you blast way past it. And I have a saying thrust is a must. So I want to know what that means to you. And you know, you named your company Launchpad, right? So that has some kind of connection with you, I know, but what does that mean to you in like two to three sentences? Yeah. So the rocket fuel for me is very simply is to become and work to become in my life, the person that I used to think I was, you know, I always thought I was the shit and just nobody could touch me. Right. But I wasn't, you know, it was very apparent that I wasn't. And when I had my fall and started to rebuild again, I just wanted to be the best man I possibly could and leave the biggest legacy for my kids. And so I just earned my rocket fuel is just trying to earn that title every single day of being the best man that I possibly can. Launchpad was about taking everything that I had learned. I learned a lot, man, you know, in business. And I had some amazing mentors. I had some shitty mentors. Um, and so it teaches you what to do and what not to do. And Launchpad was about taking all of that knowledge and being able to launch other people's businesses the way I knew how to do, you know? And so, yeah, that rocket fuel uh, moment, that's, that's something that's important you know, to me and to be able to give that to other people that I help with my businesses. And uh, that you put it perfectly, man. And it also makes you unstoppable, <laughs> you know, yeah. and that's the other thing to add. I just, you, if you get that feeling that anything that comes your way is just fuel or training session, then nothing can stop you until you get plucked from this planet. And as long as you're obviously ethical and moral, you know, and trying to do a good thing. So I love it, man. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate your time. And anytime you have a slot for me, you want to fill me in, dude, I'd be happy to come in and light it up with you. Appreciate uh, you, brother. Show. So you guys have been listening to the What Are You Made Of podcast with your boy, the unstoppable C-Rock and George Andriopoulos. That's it. Come back next time. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. If you'd like to watch these, go to YouTube at Mike C-Rock uh, on my YouTube channel and also the Rocket Fuel book. Go get that book, man. Become unstoppable. Until next time, why don't you just be unstoppable? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of What Are You Made Of? Be sure to check my website out at themikecrock.com, themikecrock with no K.com, and let us know how we can help you or your business reach its full potential. Feel free to leave a review or follow me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Mike C. Rock Scirocco. 
Again, thank you for joining me and see you guys on the next episode. I want to remind you that the Rocket Fuel book is available at my website, mikecrock.com forward slash book. That's mikecrock.com forward slash book. Go get yourself a copy. Thank you so much for your support and your listenership. It means the world to me.